the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right, live, let me check. Yeah, there's a pulse there. I guess it's true. Good afternoon to you. Thank you. Brought the drummer and everything. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Lifeline for the 20th day of September. So today would be the final day of summer, technically, right? Fall begin tomorrow. Is that right? I got my wires crossed up. Either the 21st of October or the 21st of September. It's been such a busy day around here today. I've not really kept track. Pacific Gas and Electric Company, Lord bless them, has once again done work on our power. And so there's been uh, power generators running outside, diesel fuel fumes leaking into the building, Jarrell running around with flashlights and candles. The candles, I thought, were a nice touch, by the way. Very romantic. And so, in any event, it's been very, very hectic day here old, at that old Radio Ranch. So, we're going to dive into uh, some important stuff. And I guess, it, first and foremost, let me say, and I, and I, I don't need to say this, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Let me exhort you to be in prayer. Wow. The number of disasters that have befallen our friends and family in Texas, subsequently in Florida, now two major massive earthquakes, weeks, just scant weeks apart in Mexico. And if you've seen any of the footage, your heart has to go out to the suffering that's going on. Over 200 that um, have lost their lives because of the earthquake, and uh, certainly we Bay Areans know um, how terrifying that experience is. You know, not to minimize hurricanes, but at least with a hurricane, you get a little notice. At least there's a little opportunity to take some evasive action. Earthquake, your, your first notice is when things start rocking and rolling. And so in the wake of all of the multiplicity of natural disasters, plus the fires that are going on, Montana and Oregon and Idaho and uh, a number of the um, challenges that are being faced by citizens here in our own country that have been displaced by Harvey and Irma, and now it looks as if uh, more destruction being laid to um, Puerto Rico. Just be in prayer, would you? Uh, prayer changes things. Prayer moves the hand of God, and any saint that's been a serious prayer, prayer um, you know that prayer works. And in fact, we've got some good news tonight as I start off on that bit of a maudlin note. Um, here is evidence of how prayer works and the church being involved and being active, being that salt and light mechanism. We've got good news on a couple of bills, and then we're going to spend some time tonight talking about other areas where we need to marshal more prayer warriors here for our own state of California. Joining me is 
Brian Johnston. Brian, of course, in his official capacity, is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. But um, outside of his day job, uh, Brian is also a part of the National Governor's Prayer Team, and there are prayer teams committed to all 50 governors in all 50 states, and uh, they literally are engaged in a weekly nationwide effort to go before the throne of grace and to pray for gubernatorial leadership in each of the 50 respective states. And so Brian is involved with that um, in a volunteer capacity as chair of the governor's prayer team here in California. And uh, he joins us now by phone. Brian, always a delight to have you with us on the program. Let's start first with this good news. Um, You know, oftentimes when it comes to battling the California state legislature on either issues of morality or uh, pro-life matters, it feels like a constant uphill battle. But uh, we've got some good news regarding a couple of bills here in California. So give us an update on both of you, please. Yes, Craig. And again, thank you so much. And thank you to the KFAX listeners who listen and act. It's not just enough to know and hear, but to do. And there were two bills that over the last two, really in the months, uh, this legislative session has been kind of hectic. And I know that listeners who follow politics know that the California legislature is actually the most radical legislature in the country, and I believe in our country's history. And without uh, banging the drum too much on this, but I think you need to realize that the political party that runs Sacramento is inordinately, inordinately influenced by the unlimited abortion mentality. And that is to say, abortion is choice. And that means that abortion at any time, for any reason, or for no reason in particular, just for choice. And that's an essential, a sine qua non, as they say. This must be a policy. And, of course, in California, it's paid for. But it's, they've, they've gone beyond that, as you know. And they want to superimpose that policy on others. That is to say that others must embrace that. One of the ones that we intentionally targeted because we thought if we, we brought attention to it with help, and many KFAX listeners did respond, and that was Senate Bill 309 that would make the DMV a promoter of the abortion mentality. We would issue uh, Celebrate Choice license plates. Those plates you could then buy at a certain amount of funds from the DMV. It would cruise throughout the state. You'd have Celebrating Choice. But that special fund would give even more money to Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby. And uh, there's 27 other states that have Celebrate Life plates. And only one state, uh, when they tried to pass Celebrate Choice, they decided, well, well, we'll do Celebrate Life and Celebrate Choice. But uh, Senator Jackson would have none of that. She only wanted to celebrate abortion, celebrate choice plate, and prohibited any discussion of that. We were willing to support them, actually, if they wanted to also have true choice, because choice means, well, there's another option, right? You let the baby live. No, 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 no. They did not want that. So listeners got involved, and we did stop that in the legislature. The other important bill that we stopped, and it's critically important because folks need to realize the life debate isn't just about when kids are young and cute. As we get older, uh, people aren't as cute, and they get uh, dependent. And if our emotions are what guide us, then we can fall prey to the euthanasia mentality. Well, they they don't look too healthy. I don't like, they must be suffering. Can't we just put them out of their misery? This ideology is rampant in our culture. It's an emotional appeal to kill our fellow human beings 
on emotional reasons. And one of those bills was Senate Bill 481, which would have allowed nursing homes without any oversight, and that's a key thing. There was no other oversight, no other agencies that nursing homes could decide who would get food and water and who wouldn't. They could clean out beds, and there's a lot of financial pressure on nursing homes to get better-paying customers. Well, we did stop that bill as well, so we're quite relieved about that, and it was because of, of the actions of individuals who care, and I'm sure, as you noted, Greg, also because of the prayers, people caring, uh, God's people uh, stepping up to the plate, if you will. Yeah, and it's really a three-step process, maybe four. First, you need to be informed, and listening to a program like this is certainly the best way to do that. Secondly, you need to pray. Thirdly, you need to act. And action typically means writing, calling, emailing your representative or the governor and letting them know how you feel about a certain piece of legislation. And then finally, to share, to let others know so that we can harness the power of the the, the far greater majority of people, I think, that are against a lot of these silly measures that are actually for. Uh, we've learned here in California that there is a very vocal, very loud minority that gets a lot of their way because they wind up making the most noise. And I've always found it fascinating as certain bills and measures down through the years come before either the public through um, general elections um, by way of propositions or going strictly through the legislature. And as I talk to people that I know are of a more liberal persuasion or are decidedly Democratic or would even identify themselves as quote unquote left leaning. And yet, when you begin to talk about the nitty gritty behind some of these measures and what these measures would actually do and what they stand for and the impact that they would have, it is amazing to me the number of people that will overwhelmingly say, Well, no, I don't, when you put it that way, I don't support it. They hear a couple of details on the surface. They think it's an okay thing. It seems to be marketed as another means of just providing people with choice. It's democracy after all. And in fact, when they find out what many of these measures really stand for and what they aim to do, more people, I think, in California than not will generally side with mainstream, middle of the road, pro-life, decidedly, um, how should we say, in harmony with the Judeo-Christian ethics. So being involved getting educated, sharing and praying, four key steps to making success like these bills go away. All right. Now, there's some other measures you need to be aware of as well, and we're going to talk about those coming up right around the corner. We continue our visit with Brian Johnston right now, though. Let's visit with Michael Bennett. He's got the latest for you at 516 on this Wednesday from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Let me start our next segment here as we continue our conversation with Brian Johnston with a bit of a disclaimer here. I do not wish to come across as being crass or insensitive. I acknowledge the fact that there are people in the world that have gender identity confusion. We're not going to spend time getting into a psychological discussion about the psychological or spiritual reasons why that may be. But to say that, yes, we acknowledge that there are people that struggle with that. That said, how you think and how you feel 
versus what you are biologically and scientifically are two entirely different things. You may feel like a woman, even though you're born with biologically all the male parts and all the male chromosomes. But the reality is, in spite of what you want to call yourself or somebody else call you, scientifically and biologically, you are still a male. All right. With that said, that's just scientific fact. There are a whole host of bills making their way through the California state legislature. Do you thought it was egregious enough to say, let's give our kids the choice, young children the opportunity to decide what they are? Now they're digging down even more uh, nefarious areas uh, of of this questionable science. Um, One of them gets down to just simply forcing discussions of the topic or information about opinions that children have on the topic uh, from kids as young as primary and secondary. That would mean what? Between grades 1 and 8 and Brian Johnston, I'm talking, of course, about AB 677, a number in this line of egregious bills that just seems to go out of its way to deny proven scientific and biological fact. Yes, Craig, and again, thank you. I think you presented that well. Uh, this is not to condemn individuals, but um, basically, what you know, what the right to life—and that's my folio with the National Right to Life Committee. The National Right to Life doesn't get into these other issues. These other issues we'll talk about as I'm doing it on behalf as a volunteer for the governor's prayer team. But um, you know, the National Right to Life Committee and basically our laws talk about the right to life as a self-evident truth. And it's critically important to realize our founders refer to the laws of nature and of nature's God, that they're self-evident truth. And we know that when it comes to killing a human baby, uh, the facts are there. Those are facts. That isn't even my religion. It doesn't do with my religion. That's just an objective fact about self-evident truth, the laws of nature and of nature's God. And it's important to realize that's the predicate for all of our laws, that the approach to common law and natural law in the philosophers that led up to to our founders was very practical and straightforward. However, there's been a change in how our culture both educates us, and I have to say that I, I was subject to to modern American education, and you have to think it through and unwind some of the, I'll put it frankly, the, the trickery in terms of how you think and what you think. And what's very common, the yeah, buts. You always, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about that? So there's always an exception. There's always something else. And, and then truth is no longer self-evident, but rather synthesized and created. And as you pointed out, there is now a phenomenon going on where your feelings are basically to be treated as objectively true. And that's very, very dangerous. I know that is the case, as I said, in in assisted suicide, that it's almost entirely pushed by feelings. If this is what someone feels, I mean, I would never want them to be dead, but if they feel they should be, then by, by all means, let's make sure they're dead. And that's the case now, sadly, with um, this other issue and the transgender. I think it's it's the the issue of the moment, the zeitgeist. And Assembly Bill 677, all of these bills we're going to talk about, by the way, have already passed the legislature and are now on the governor's desk. 
Assembly Bill 677 is data collection, and it's based on a program that's already in place, the California Healthy Kids Survey, which are distributed to students in primary and secondary classrooms at different ages. And it's, originally it was predicated that let's find out, are they eating too many candy bars? Let's do a survey. Do they get enough exercise? So it's to do a survey. Well, this adds a, a, a data point to collect, and that has to do with lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender disparities. And it asks these kids these questions without uh, parental approval. Now, some school districts uh, have tried to, to monitor what they allow in this questionnaire. It prohibits local school districts from monitoring that. They have to plant these seed, seeds into kids' minds. So this is a very dangerous bill, AB 677. It takes away school district's authority to, to determine what, what kids are being asked. There are some other bills, too. And again, we need to understand these are already on the governor's desk. And so being in prayer and being in contact with the governor's office, critically important. Uh, one that seems to be kind of innocuous, and yet you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, though. Isn't that falsification? And that is Senate Bill 179 um, that would create a non-binary gender category. So literally, you get to choose male, field, female, or other or non-binary. And of course, this means that people are allowed, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong here, Brian, to change the gender listed on their driver's license or birth certificates with one of these three options. Now, I don't know, back in the day, that was called falsification of documents. And in this day and age, when everybody's concerned about, uh, you know, uh, illegal people engaged in voting and taking over citizens' rights and things of this sort and stealing of identity and on and on the list goes, why would we ever consider something like this? Well, that's a very good question. And, and to be honest, it's it, when the implications are examined, again, I think what happens is that feelings, and right now the push for this feeling towards this, this gender-bender worldview uh, has, has really impacted our culture. But the implications are great. You're exactly right. It allows you personally to go and change your gender. So it's not about, I don't have to be male. I can be whatever I want to be. And this this is a real bill. I wish it wasn't. And it's Senate Bill 179. It's on the governor's desk. So it, it's, it's quite extraordinary what we're facing. And it really violates other, other parts of the law. There's, you know, the, the identity documents uh, that, are, that are given under the law and under uh, federal Title Eight and Title Nine and federal law has already defi- defined sex and gender. So this would, this would bend that. And, and we've already seen the problems that come when some guy says, you know, I want to be a female weightlifter. I'm going, to, I'm going for the gold. And, well, wait a second. <laughs> but you're not female. Oh, yes, I am. Well, where's reality? Well, and, you know, and let me interrupt, Brian, by making one observation, if I might, because so often when we come to discussions regarding, for example, uh, creationism versus evolution, it always seems to come down in terms of lines of either faith or lines of science, and never the twain shall meet. What I find ironic about this is that the same side that would argue to you that it is silly to believe in creationism because science supports evolution, which, by the way, that's very debatable. But what I find ironic here is they are instantly willing to surrender their strong foundation of science when it comes to things like gender, where suddenly, in spite of the fact that this is proven science, 
we now want to engage in this matter as gender being a personal choice or a matter of belief or feelings, which under any other scenario they would dismiss out of hand as being non-scientific. And yet when you argue this based purely on not faith, not religion, but on science, they want to get real squirrely about this, don't they? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of peculiar. It's clear that ideology is pushing this. And ideas are important things. And ideas that are enforced are called laws. So you've got to be involved in the battle of ideas. Uh, these these will be law if the governor signs them. There's a couple of other bills, real quickly, because you know I do want to get back because I know you're giving a lot of time. I appreciate it very much. I've got two life bills I want to get back to. But there's two others since we're hitting this category, and there's a lot of them. Senate Bill 219 is, I think, insidious, and it's the use of language and using gender pronouns in, of all places, nursing homes. Now, you and I have talked about this. You know that my involvement with with the vulnerable isn't just in, in the abortion debate, whether or not those babies are killed, but really the elderly. And I've been on the board of examiners of California nursing homes. That was a volunteer position as well. But it's alarming. But this is what it has in common in this, in this whole area. These are the most vulnerable members of our society. And so what Senate Bill 219 does is it mandates that if some man wants to go into a nursing home and be the roommate of your grandmother, he can say, I'm a woman. And your grandmother will have, in a long-term care facility, a transgender man. And you can't do anything about that. In fact, what's worse, there's a penalty for anyone, an employee or anyone, who refers to him as a him. If you use the wrong pronoun, you will be penalized for up to $1,000 fine and one year in jail for repeated offenses of using the wrong pronoun regarding that man in your grandmother's room. So this is incredible. It's, it's unbelievable. It is, <laughs> again, I, this is a Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, I, I, I find it stunning that these are proposed laws and they're going into effect and they're sitting on the desk of your governor. California. Well, and, and there's another one, too, I want to mention quickly here. Jarrell just gave me the high sign we need to go to traffic, but another one we didn't talk about. Um, Senate Bill 936. How about this one? Gender identity sensitivity training for businesses with over 50 employees. So now suddenly, if you don't wish to concur with someone's belief, uh, choice that they are the sex that they weren't born as, uh, this is suddenly now an area that you need to be sensitive to, and you need to receive sensitivity training so that you don't potentially harass them by calling them by the wrong pronoun. Wow, wow, wow. Brian Johnston, thank you so much for the time. Again, we urge listeners to be in prayer for all of these bills. And um, we'll get another update from Brian real soon on where these things stand in terms of um, going to the governor and be in prayer and be in contact with the governor to please veto these ridiculously crazy measures. 533, let's get caught up on traffic right quick here. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center where we say good afternoon to Michael Bennett. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Well, with the start of the new semester, many parents in the Bay Area are getting a bit of an education about public education. Did you know, for example, that a school nurse working in California public schools may not give an aspirin to your child without parental permission? But that same nurse may arrange transportation for your daughter to Planned Parenthood to have an abortion, and by law, they're not required to tell you. By California law, transgendered and questioning students may use the bathroom of their choice without regard to their biological gender or impact on other students of the opposite sex. For years, sex education in public schools had been optional. If parents wanted their children to take a sexual health class, they had to sign up for the instruction. But a new state law in effect this year requires all California public school students to take sex education beginning in the seventh grade. And reading of the Bible or teaching about Christian beliefs in public schools? Well, that's against the law in California. But you might be surprised to learn that one California school district openly teaches about Islam, even encouraging students to memorize portions of the Quran, while the Bible and Christianity remain off-limits. Brian Recton joins us in studio to talk a bit about the KFAX back-to-school half-off tuition opportunity. And boy, there's got to be a sense of some parents now with the start of the new semester and their kids are coming back questioning things, bringing questionable homework assignments, and wondering what is going on in public education. Well, it's clearly a different world today that we're living in in the public school environment. And Uh, A lot of our listeners are aware of a program that we've been offering for six years where it's called uh, Back to School at Half Price. What a lot of parents may not know is it's not too late, even though they've probably already enrolled their children into the public school system. Those first uh, semester report cards are going to come out. They've already probably had conversations with with their children about questionable teachings at the school. It's not too late. We have a list of Christian schools on our website at kfax.com. And these schools are just waiting with open arms, especially with families from the public school system, where they're going to get a quality education that's not going to disagree with the standards and the beliefs of the of the home life. And uh, those schools are listed on our website. So for those that have been listening uh, over the years, we've been doing this for six years. We have over 185 families that have enrolled in Christian school as a result of these vouchers, where a family pays half price for that first year where they enroll their child in a Christian school. More than enough time for you to gauge the quality of the school, the quality of the education, and, and then make a determination if you want to re-enroll. You're not under any obligation to, but the option is there to re-enroll and keep your child in that environment that agrees with what you're teaching them at home. And I would imagine down through the years, Brian, because you have the opportunity to speak directly with many of the families, that the reports coming back of the difference that Christian education is having in the lives of their students have to be remarkable enough that making the way, making the sacrifice to continue that enrollment throughout their scholastic career becomes a top priority because they've seen the stark difference, not just between many of the moral values that we spoke of earlier, but the percentile of students that graduate from a Christian school and move on to a four-year college or university is higher than in public education. In fact, public education, they're having a difficult time even getting students to graduate only 85% 
percent of public high school students in California actually make it to graduation. Well, you know, it's interesting you'd say that because we have some of the schools that are listed on our website that have participated all six years that have a 100% acceptance rate of their high school seniors graduating and going on to college. The quality of the education is unquestionable. Um, The standards are high. Again, you're not going to have to filter when your kids come home, what did you learn today? You're Actually, you're going to be anxious for them to come home and hear what they learned today if they're in a Christian school. The real point uh, for, for today is for parents to understand that it's not too late. If they've already had conversations about, gee, I wish we, you know, I wish we weren't in the public school, I wish we could pull our kids out, at least go to the website where we have the schools listed, all the information on these schools, the websites, the address, the contact information, feel free to call the schools. Just tell them that you're exploring the possibility of a KFAX voucher and uh, go take a tour of the school. You can do all that, then come back, claim the voucher, get your child into a school environment where they're not only going to get a quality education, but it's going to be Christ-centered and it's not going to be in disagreement with what you're teaching them at home. And the never-too-late message is important, I think, particularly for parents who have seen their students now matriculate to the next level. So they finished mid-school, now they're in junior high school, completed their junior high school career, they've moved on to high school, and the parents are beginning to wonder, wow, what's happened here? Mm. This new school is not like the last one, and we're really concerned about our child's education, not only scholastically, but morally and spiritually as well. And that's the important thing that you point out, Brian. It's not just a matter of top-notch education, reading, writing, and arithmetic, as we used to say, but it's making sure that the principles that are being taught and underscored day-to-day in your child's life by arguably the largest influence, because they spend the most time, more time than most parents do, six, seven hours a day, making sure that what is being taught and underscored is, in fact, in harmony with your beliefs, the teachings of your mm-hmm. church, and in the biblical fashion in which you would like to raise your son or daughter. And, and not to mention, Craig, you know, I talk to a lot of parents that have pulled their kids out of public school. One of the big complaints that they had was that basically the, the, the public schools teaching crowd control. I mean, you got classrooms with 30 or 40 students um, in, a, in a private school environment. It's half that in most cases. Uh, the, the quality of the education we've already talked about. I, I would encourage listeners to go to the website. We have a map that shows where all these schools are. So clearly, you know, if there's no school participating in your geographic area, well, then, then it may not be an option for you. But if there is a school or two, in your geographic area, at least it's something to pray about. It's something to consider. And then when that report card comes out or your child comes home with, you know, another issue that doesn't agree with your teaching at home, well, then you're that much closer to at least contacting the schools, meeting with them, taking a tour. Any family listening, any parent listening now can call me uh, on that website at kfax.com where they click on the banner for the back to school they'll see my name my number my email address be happy to answer any questions that families might have so if throughout this year you've thought it not necessary and 
have discovered in the opening weeks of the new semester, oh, yes, a private and Christian-based education is very necessary for my son or daughter. And then, of course, you had thought heretofore it wasn't possible. Well, actually, now it is possible, thanks to the KFAX half-off tuition opportunity. Details available again on the web along with that interactive map at kfax.com. Just click on the Back to School banner, and it'll take you directly to the page with all that information. You can do the research on the school near you, make an appointment to take a tour of it, and find out whether or not you conclude that not only is Christian education right for your child, but also, thanks to the KFAX half-off back-to-school opportunity, affordable for your child. Online at kfax.com, that's kfax.com, or you can call toll-free for more information, 800-947-5329, that's 800-947-KFAX. And Brian, I know that down through the years you've heard many exciting and encouraging testimonies that have come back from parents and grandparents, too, who Mm -hmm. have uh, made the, the effort taken the time and made the investment in their child's life. And I guess at the end of the day, the results really speak for themselves. Craig, I have a scrapbook of uh, cards, uh, letters, emails. I even have some families that send me photographs of their children. You know, when the when the school does the class photos and they'll send me one, they just, they want to keep me abreast of what's happening. And you know, in many cases, these children are, it's life transforming. The families are so glad that they that they finally said, yes, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, taste and see that these schools are good, and then you'll, you'll find a way. And that's what most of these families say. You know, yeah, it's a struggle. Private school is not cheap, but you're not going to have those contradictions on a daily basis. And I believe that God, with God's help, you'll find a way to be able to keep your child enrolled in a Christian school. And in all these years that we have been covering public education, private education here on Lifeline, I will tell you this. One thing I have never heard from a KFAX listener in almost 30 years, and that's this. We regret that we sent our child to a Christian school. Never hear it said. So to get more information, go online, kfax.com. That's kfax.com, and click on the Back to School banner. Or again, you can call toll-free for more information, 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I had a friend when I was growing up in um, high school days and was involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And this guy was a great believer, really had a heart for the Lord, uh, was found faithfully in church on every Sunday, uh, had a voracious uh, desire and appetite for the Word. Every time there was a prayer opportunity, a prayer meeting, something of that sort, he was there. He was just one of those really faithful guys. And yet, in the entire time that I knew him, I recognize that this guy dealt with a degree of shame. Now, in his case, the shame wasn't necessarily because of anything that he had done or failed to do. But, you see, he came from a household where his mother had died years before when he was younger, leaving the surviving parent, his father, with himself, a younger brother, a younger sister, uh, dad was kind of a rough-and-tumble kind of character, uh, had been a truck driver, inconsistent when it came to work. So the house wasn't in a very nice neighborhood. The lawns were never well-kept. The house was never well-maintained. The kids were never well-dressed nor never well-fed. Well, they were all decent human beings. 
there always seemed to be kind of this cloud of shame that this friend of mine carried, even as a believer, uh, because he couldn't invite people over to his home. He felt embarrassed at times because his father, being kind of the rough-and-tumble guy, would use uh, foul language and things of that sort, so there was a degree of embarrassment. And um, I always wondered, boy, what kind of a cross is that for us to bear as believers when sometimes we deal with the the pain of worthlessness or rejection or just downright shame? Well, my first guest tonight has written a book that tackles this very issue. Uh, down through the years, he's authored quite a number of best-selling books, uh, including When People Are Big and God is Small, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, Depression, Stubborn Darkness, many others, including his latest book entitled simply Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. And Ed Welsh, great to have you on the program tonight. Craig, yeah, great to be with you, too. I really, uh, really enjoy thinking about this particular topic, and um, I'm looking forward to our time together. You mentioned to our listeners that you are a licensed uh, psychologist and faculty member of the um, Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, a highly respected organization, and you've, you've tackled an issue here that kind of kind of rides down below the surface, I think, in the lives of a lot of believers for different reasons. Now, I shared at my opening remarks the, the shame, the sense of shame that this friend of mine had for so long, that sent, that kind of foreboding sense of, 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 of guilt about this and never knowing quite what to do. I mean, is this something that we need to maybe right out the gate differentiate between guilt and shame or the sense that we'll get under some some circumstances of conviction of the Holy Spirit? Kind of delineate that for us, if yeah, you would. I, I think that's an important one, but let me go, let me go back a little bit. You're, you're, you're wrestling with the question, how, how big is this issue? And, and if we go to Scripture, it, it's, it seems to advertise shame is, in, in many ways, the, the premier human struggle. You know, so, you know, you have Genesis. They were naked and without shame. Well, that's just... You know, it's like a it's like a, the, the story being given away right at the beginning, where you know it's setting us up to see. Okay, then they were naked and with shame, and and really the entire Bible becomes a, a, a wrestling with this question: What do I do with this sense of shame? So I, I think you're you're saying something very very important at the outset with your illustration. Well, here's a guy who was struggling with it, but if if Scripture is true. What we'd expect is that we're going to find we're going to find touches of this in every single person, and, and some of those words you use to describe shame, they boy, I would imagine just about every American would say them. I feel like a failure sometimes. I feel worthless. Who hasn't who hasn't said that? Um, I feel unlovable. Uh, and but here's here's the sort of the twist that shame gives unlovable. Uh, I'm unlovable, but other people aren't. You know, other people are lovable. But I'm not lovable. There's something, there's something especially not quite right about me. That's, it's under those experiences that we find this this thing that Scripture calls shame. And as you point out, this is something that we really have struggled with since the beginning of mankind. I mean, we, we've got that illustration very early in the garden uh, with the creation of mankind. There he was. There she was in our in our uh, complete glory. Uh, there was never any sense of guilt or shame uh, until then, of course, uh, of the eating of the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil. And suddenly, man in his nakedness went from that state of being without shame to suddenly burdened down with shame. And this is something that, of course, is, has followed us to one degree or another ever since. 
And and if we if we follow the, the storyline in those first chapters of Genesis, we find this this very concise picture of shame. And it seems to revolve around a triad of three things. Well, first of all, you feel naked, obviously. You you feel exposed. You feel like you are being seen. Somebody others can see you and you're not quite right. That would be one experience of it. You just feel exposed. Uh, a second is, and you, you find this in the Genesis story, you feel like an outcast. You feel like you don't belong anymore. And I would say that that's, in many ways, that's really the key experience. There's something about you that you don't fit in. And I can remember one, uh, this, this, this moment I had in high school where, of course, I, like everybody else in high school, felt like I never fit in. But then I'd have these conversations with my friends, and I found these guys who were, you know, you know great guys who, who just seemed like they had everything. They didn't feel like they fit in. You know, you begin to realize, does anybody feel like they belong? And it's an elusive human experience. The other part of the experience is you feel unclean. There's something dirty about you. And, and Craig, I think that's where that link between guilt and shame can get a little fuzzy, where, okay, you feel dirty, you feel bad. Well, I think I think many of us have this instinct that if we feel bad, it means we've done something bad, we've done something wrong, and and we we tend to look for something to confess. And and certainly shame can occasionally be because we have done something we feel like is so wrong. It's it's a different kind of sin or a different kind of wrong than other people have committed. And so there's that sense we, you know, well, well for example, I I uh, drove to work today and. I expect if today wasn't like any other day, I rolled through a stop sign or two. And, and is that breaking the law? And no, I'm not trying to say I'm proud of it, but but I'm willing to acknowledge it because I'm I'm thinking, I'm hoping that that you rolled through a stop sign today too. And and, and so you're you're shaking your head and say, yeah, 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 I'm with you. I know I know what you're talking about. But there there are other kinds of wrongs that we could talk about where nobody's shaking their head; they're just sort of looking at us. So occasionally, the the bad that we feel is a result of, of what we've done. We just feel like what we've done is very different and, and more disgraceful than anything anybody else has done. The other, the larger part of shame, which you've already spoken about, is is we feel bad, we feel unclean, but it's it, you can you can confess all day, and it's not going to make any difference. Um, it's because we are associated with things or people that have done unclean things to us. And, and certainly, you know, you, you've mentioned one, just associations with poverty and not having anything. Well, there's the literal sense of feeling worthless and not fitting in. The, the other illustrations that, that probably most of us would immediately think of would be some kind of sexual violation where you have been, it's not what you've done, you feel, obviously, you feel dirty, but you can't confess that dirtiness because it's a dirtiness that somebody else has thrown on you. Or somebody who's been divorced, um, the same thing. If they were on the bad end of, the, of divorce where, where the spouse left them, there, there's a sense that there's something wrong with me. There's something bad about me. And it's not because of what they've done. It's because of what has been done to them. So, so shame really is the much larger struggle if, uh, than guilt. Guilt can be one part of shame, but shame is a much, much wider experience. Tackling the topic today as we're joined by best-selling author Edward Welsh, a look at Shame Interrupted, how God lifts the pain of worthlessness and rejection. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.